0: Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Old Boy, the new Spike Lee movie. And joining me in the Slate New York studio is Aisha Harris. Hello, Hi. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Dana. You are a culture blogger for, for Slate and a frequent contributor to our Browbeat culture blog, and uh, you also happened to be walking out of Old Boy when I saw it the other night. I didn't realize you were going to be at the movie, too. And I'm really glad you were, because I, this is definitely a movie that needs a spoiler special. For one thing, it's full of plot twists, which you really don't want to go in knowing, which makes me glad that I didn't see the Korean original 2003 Old Boy that this is based on until after having seen Spike Lee. Um, and and it's also just a very intense, strange movie that requires some processing. So so let's process. But before we start spoiling, I just want to know, overall, what was your reaction, good or bad?
1: Um. Neither. Uh, it was. I was engaged the entire time, I will say that. Um, but I don't think it was a necessarily great experience or a bad experience. It just happened and it happened. <laughs> it
0: was just a Zen <laughs> moment of pure being? Yeah, yeah. I, yes. I mean, having now seen the Korean original, which I saw subsequently, you know, for our conversation and for thinking about this movie, it really seems like a case where you do sort of want to know where what his influences are and why he made this movie. I would say that the Korean movie is much better, um, much more cohesive as a, as a work. It just sort of manages to maintain the same tone, a very intense, visceral, violent tone, but consistent throughout. Um, But that you cannot accuse Spike Lee of having copped out or plagiarized Chan Wook Park, who was the director of the the original Korean movie, right? I mean, he's completely off on his own doing his own thing. And even though this movie did not work for me, and I would say overall that I actively dislike Spike Lee's old boy, uh, I I respect him for for making something that was not at all a, a, a... Simple remake.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I I feel like this isn't so much a remake as it is kind of like a a, a reinterpretation of of Old Boy because the, I I had already seen the the original Old Boy only two weeks before for the first time, um, so it was still very fresh in my mind. And while watching it, I was wondering, oh, how are they going to play with these twists? Because like I know. At least, I think I know what might be coming. And Spike was actually able to 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 use similar a similar vein and a similar theme of Old Boy of the original, um, but make it his own and kind of, in a way, I think especially the final big twist definitely it it, it came out com- not completely different, but very different from the way that uh, Chen Wu did in his his version.
0: Well, let's get into, this is a, one thing you have to say about this movie. It's, it's got a great story. Just the simple structure of the story is, is, is kind of beautifully plotted. So let's just outline what happens to Old Boy, if that indeed is the, the, the nickname of the main character. It's never really explained in either movie why the title is Old Boy, right? Well,
1: right. Well, if I remember correctly, in the original movie, um, the school that they all, that he goes to um, with his his villain, um, the man who's been setting him up on all of these challenges. Um, the school that they go to, I think that their their nickname or the mascot is old boy or something along those lines. If I remember correctly.
0: Well, we just got word from our producer Chris Wade, and I just saw the Korean movie last night. I should remember this, but I somehow didn't get it. Is that that was how people at the old school, which appears only in flashbacks in the movie, referred to each other, sort of like old chap.
1: Right, but in the, in the in Spike's version, it doesn't. I don't think it mentions that at
0: all. It's basically just a branding device, so people who liked the original can come see this one as well. Right. So the basic story here, um, and here we'll be talking about the American movie, we'll refer to the Korean one as necessary, but it's Josh Brolin plays this character, Joe Doucette, who at the beginning is this extremely unlikable, just awful guy. He's in business, I guess he's an, an advertising executive or something like that. And uh, he's a drunk, he's really cruel to his wife, who it seems like he's maybe on the, on the verge of leaving. He uh, he misses his daughter's birthday and doesn't give a shit. He's just, the first 10 or so minutes is just set up to show us like what an awful, lecherous, drunken jerk he is. Yeah, he
1: hits on the the girlfriend or wife of uh, the man he's supposed to be pitching an idea to for, for business and that man is not very happy. And, and they set it up as at first to make you think, oh, this is the guy. Because after that happens, after their dinner and he, he hits on the woman and the guy gets upset, um, he soon gets kind of uh, enticed by this strange woman with a yellow umbrella on it uh, or yellow umbrella and uh, is then imprisoned for 20 years.
0: Yeah, and how does that transition happen again in this movie? Like that is something that the original does really, really well is the absolute abruptness of the the transition from the setup which is shorter and simpler in the original um, to this moment when he suddenly wakes up in this windowless room where he's been locked by some mysterious person who proceeds then to keep him there for 20 years. It's 15 in the original, 20 in the remake. Right. And and, and the room actually looks almost exactly
1: like the room in the original. Um, there are a few differences. Like, it still has the same kind of, like, uh, wall with like paintings on it that switch out, and but then there's also Spike Lee injects this this kind of black bellhop character, who I don't understand quite what he was trying to do with that. Like he's he's basically there's this painting of a, of a old timey bellhop who's wearing like the red uh, uniform and the red cap
0: with kind of a crazed obsequious with, with, smile on his yeah, face. Yeah, it,
1: it seems kind of like something straight out of Bamboozled, like this kind of minstrelly minstrelsy type of uh, image of a Black bellhop, and it says like what What can we do to improve your stay? And he keeps like cutting to that image, and like it's very creepy. And then at one point, the actual bellhop shows up and is like laying sitting on his bed and like eating something. But that's and supposed laughing. to be only in the fantasy of Josh Brolin, right. right? Right. It's very weird that that whole sequence kind of, and that's another example of, of Spike kind of taking what, like, similar ideas from the original and kind of making it his own. I don't fully understand what that was, but...
0: Well, this is what I'm saying, is that he made lots of things his own, but I have no idea what it all added up to. Right. All right, so let's get through. So so this 20-year segment, it actually is it's, it's, it's pretty uh, effectively edited in the sense that we get the sense that 20 years have passed yeah. and that this Josh Brolin character has gone through all kinds of kind of different stages of, you know, rage and then kind of um, self-improvement, you know, and, and, and all these different phases, attempt to escape, you know, which is foiled. Um, during this 20-year period, and he also, his only entertainment and company in this room where a door is opened and horrible meals of fried dumplings are shoved at him a couple times a day, is a TV. And uh, and so as he's watching TV, he starts to discover, do you want to take over the, the next twist? Um,
1: the the daughter, you mean?
0: Yeah, well, the wife. Oh. Oh, the first so, thing he discovers is that his right. wife has been murdered. Right? His
1: wife was raped and murdered and his daughter um, has been adopted by another family. And so he sees over the course of the 20 years, um, you see this like kind of uh, in in the, um, this TV show kind of like, I don't know, 2020 or like, like mysteries of crime, mysteries of crime hosted by um, uh, some guy who. Energetic host, who's like, we've we've come and we've uh, reconnected with his daughter, whose daughter I can't remember what her name is. Mia. Supposed to be. Mia. And we've talked to her, adopted parents, and you see her adopted parents saying, like, oh, we just, we feel, like, blessed that she's in our lives. And then you see her, like, learning to play the violin and then, or cello, or, and, and then you see her grow, they, they return to the story every, like, t- five to 10 years. And that's how you see, he sees her growing up. And so he, that inspires him to start writing her letters and saying, like, I'm going to get out and I'm going to find you and, like, make sure you know that, like, I didn't kill your mother.
0: Right. So during this, this 20 years, he also becomes sort of a good person, although. Some of the stuff he does after he gets out of, gets out of the room would, would contradict that. But he becomes a person with some sort of moral compass who realizes, I treated my daughter horribly, and when I get out, I'm going to become part of her life.
1: Right, and a motivation to, like, he starts working out so that, like, he can learn martial arts, which is why once he gets out, like, he's able to, like, fight everyone and do that whole thing hammer scene.
0: Oh, my God. But the scene where he gets out, okay, we'll go back to how he gets out, but I think one of the weakest parts of the movie is the the, the fight scene on the football field right after Josh Brolin gets out, right? So he... he, he,
1: he... I think there were soccer players, but they were on, like, a football field. They, didn't, they looked like they were soccer players. Right. There are a
0: know. bunch of jocks, like sort of college-age jocks who are playing on a field, and for some reason they happen to be the first people he encounters on his journey. In the original, there's at least some excuse given for why Choi Min-sik, who plays the main character in the Korean version, beats up on a bunch of people that he, he first sees when he gets out. It's because he's essentially kind of testing his skills, which I guess is maybe the idea of what Josh Brolin is doing, too, but it's never explained. And suddenly we're in a different universe where there's, there's this very kind of chop socky, like, bad, unrealistic martial arts, um, not quite Martial arts, But, you know, just a, a very kind of cheaply and unrealistically done fight scene in yeah. which all, I don't know, maybe four or five guys are, are laid low with, you know, presumably broken bones by Josh Brolin, who then just kind of zips off to the next encounter. Yeah. And
1: Why is that in there? I I, I don't know. I'll, most of the violence in this movie, f- f- or at least the longer scenes of violence, felt very video game-ish and not... Like, this kind of other world didn't feel necessarily part of the rest of they the They felt movie.
0: almost comic. I mean, they were they were that way to the extent that it didn't just seem like Spike Lee doesn't know how to direct action, which is maybe part of the problem. He certainly doesn't do it that often. Right. But but as if almost as if he was sort of poking fun at, at the action movie or the, the, the thriller. I mean, it, to me, it really took me out of, of caring about his story. Yeah, same. Agreed. And ultimately, in spite of the fact that at one point Josh Brolin manages to chip away a bunch of bricks from his his bathroom wall and start to escape himself, he is then eventually put to sleep with some kind of drug gas in the room, which is the way that they kind of um subdue him throughout. And uh and it's they who just dis- they being the faceless entities who have imprisoned him, it's they that decide when he's going to escape. And he's I think gassed one day and then just wakes up in a box. In a box like a Louis Vuitton like <laughs> a, trunk. Yeah, Louis in a Vuitton field. trunk. Yeah, And Um, he's got nothing with him except, I guess they give him some money,
1: a cell phone. A cell phone with a picture of his daughter. And all the letters that he wrote to her. He has those. Right. And all the letters he's written to her over the last, like, however, 10, 15 years.
0: So the idea is that somebody now wants him to find the daughter, right? They've given him a trail with which to find her. But he's also a fugitive from justice because for the last 20 years, people have thought, oh, this is the guy who raped and murdered his wife and then disappeared.
1: Right. And then he meets Elizabeth Olsen's character, who I guess is a... um, she works with a some sort of health. They yeah,
0: she's like a kind nurse. of do-gooder in this kind of mobile truck that goes around helping homeless people or something like that. Right. I'm not quite sure. And now we're getting into the larger narrative of why all this is happening. I'm not quite sure how the bad guys made sure that he encountered Elizabeth Olson. What did they do to orchestrate that?
1: I don't know. I mean, they dropped him right in the middle of nowhere. So maybe they dropped they- him purposely dropped him near in her vicinity. So that but the element of her.
0: hypnosis, which is very, very big in the first movie, is, is absent here, right? I mean, in the first yeah. movie, the guy escapes and he meets a young woman and they fall in love. And we later find out that they fell in love essentially because they were hypnotized and kind of given these triggers you right, know, that, that would true. make them bond to the person who said that word or did that thing. And that doesn't right. happen at all in this old boy.
1: No, that's very true. That I didn't even think about that. That's a kind of a huge... It's kind, kind of, of a big of...
0: plot hole, right? Yeah. So by sheer <laughs> chance, kind of, or just proximity, he ends up kind of connecting with this young, you know, basically like sweet little Florence Nightingale, you know, lovely young woman. Although she does have a drug past. That's right. But that's all <laughs> part of her vulnerability, right? Yes. So, so she, it's, it's, it's set up pretty early on, is an yeah. ex-junkie. She looks really good for an ex-junkie, you have to say. Very nice complexion for an ex-junkie who, who is now devoted to helping people. And she, you know, sees this guy wander in, in horrible physical shape, you know, who has this incredible story to tell. And they kind of become friends and then eventually lovers.
1: Right. Um, and she helps him kind of track down uh, all the clues as to like who this person is and we should definitely talk about the villain Sharlto Copley Um, Right
0: so Sharlto Copley is is the guy the South African actor from District 13 District 9 I knew I was going to get the (laughs) number wrong I always get that number wrong
1: (laughs) District 9 and also Elysium Right so Um, What did you think of his
0: performance? Oh, my God. He's (laughs) so, I mean, both in this and in Elysium, I have to say, I mean, he's so exciting in District 9 and the idea that, I mean, I thought Elysium was going to be good, you know, back in the day, right? It's a horrible movie. And one of the worst things in it is Charlton Copley. And it just seems like the way he plays a villain. I was actually saying to a friend who I ran into on a train on the way out of the Old Boy screening that he has a future as a Bond villain. That's essentially what he is playing in this this movie. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I was a little put
1: off by how... He portrayed him as this kind of dandy villain. He felt like Vincent Price-ish, or like um, Javier Bardem's character in in the latest in Skyfall, because right. he
0: felt kind very of refined, right? refined,
1: and sort of had like homoerotic tones to him. Because we also, I mean, this. Sp- I don't know if you want to get to the spoiler. Like, sure, spoil away. But, I mean, the twist is that, like, instead of, unlike the original old boy, where it was the the villain and his sister were having sex, it's a different form of incest in Spike Lee's version. It's um, <clears throat> it's his. Uh, the father, villain's father the villain's right? father back in the well, past back in the past as well as his sister his villains the villain's father was having sex with both the the, the boy and um his sister and it, it, it just made it it just kind of i don't maybe it's my own insecurities but it just felt weird the way he was playing him so kind of like yes sir i'm going to kill you like it felt very unlike. like Old fashioned, like It was an old very, fashioned very villain. strange.
0: It was a strange actorly choice on his part. And it was a strange directorial choice on, on Spike Lee's part because it's too extreme a performance. I mean, he's not just sneaking in some sort of hints that he's like this hyper refined kind of, you know, very swishy homoerotic dude. He just it's it's really over the top. So really? at some point that was that performance was okayed, And I just I think that was a big mistake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that does have to relate. I don't think it was necessarily the way it was written because Spike didn't actually write the, the screenplay. He just directed it. Um, the adapted screenplay, um, so yeah, it just it just didn't it rung really campy and and false and not in a good way. Do
0: you know Aisha was Spike Lee? Did did he was he attached to this project after it existed or did he seek yeah. out the remake?
1: Yeah, he was attached afterwards. Um, I read somewhere and I can't remember where. I think it might have been IndieWire. Um, he did an interview and he was talking about how um, he he kind of got attached and he, apparently when he got attached he didn't realize that Steven Spielberg I believe had been originally attached to it.
0: Um, to direct, not to, to produce, but to direct. I believe so. That's so strange. Imagine check. Steven Spielberg remaking Old Boy. It's just a very <laughs> weird combination. Because I mean, yeah. if it isn't clear from what's come so far, it's going to become clear soon that this is a very super dark and pessimistic and twisted kind of worldview. It doesn't have a lot of Spielbergian uplift in it.
1: No, not at all. Um, but yeah, I just it just felt so we talked about this after seeing the movie but i do feel like spike did make a lot of his own personal changes and or the screenwriter and the director um kind of put their own spin on the, the twist, especially we also learned that um, the images that he was seeing on the television. Oh,
0: here um, we're getting to the big reveal, <laughs> The big, right?
1: big reveal. The images that he was seeing on the television were all just staged completely. So like they had they had a TV set up. The woman, the girl, the young girl who was playing his daughter was just an actress he had had for 20 years playing as she right. grew it's up. It's a
0: long con that he's playing the Shalto Copley character. Very
1: long con. I was like, oh, well, I wasn't expecting. Like, I was genuinely surprised. But then he makes these changes and it it just feels so empty whereas with the original it's impactful. Like, it feels like at the end of it you feel like Even if you don't fully understand the very ambiguous ending, and this Spikes version doesn't have an ambiguous ending, but even if you don't understand it, you do feel something. Whereas with this, I just left feeling like, huh, okay.
0: Yeah, well, this movie had totally, totally lost me by the end in terms of caring about the characters. I was still sort of interested in it as an aesthetic object, like what bizarre thing is he going to do next, you know? Right. But um, but I had kind of, kind of given up on the story. Um, but we so we still haven't gotten to the big, big reveal. So there's a long period where Charlton Copley is kind of playing cat and mouse via this cell phone that he's given to um, to Josh Brolin, and they're telephoning back and forth, and, and there's you know all kinds of uh, kind of murders in between of tertiary characters, including um Christopher Moltisanti, oh, <laughs> right? Yeah, Who yeah. plays this this barkeep who's a friend of, of Josh Brolin's. Now oh, I can't no, remember I, the actor's name. Oh,
1: it was um, Michael Imperial. You're right, of
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that is happening during the course of the movie. And then finally, when the game of cat and mouse is over, um, Elizabeth Olson, the, the young girl who befriended Josh Brolin, and Josh Brolin have together discovered by going back to the prep school that Josh Brolin used to go to and researching that the two men, Charlton Copley and Josh Brolin, are, are prep school friends, right? Not friends, but just they were there at the same time, colleagues, right? right? And, uh, and that that's the connection between the two. And gradually in the course of this research, they uncover that incest story that you mentioned um, and and realize that Charlton Copley is essentially trying to get revenge for what he feels was Josh Brolin's humiliation of his sister yeah. when he when he spied the sister having sex with her own father on the grounds of the school, really, really extreme scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so then, but then things get even more nuts because Charlton Copley, has this face-off with Josh Brolin kind of on the grounds of the building where he was in prison for all those years, right? Right. They see the studio where the fake mystery show was taped. Um, the reveal comes that, you know, the, the the actress playing his daughter was not really his daughter. And then, in this in this reveal that in the original is just done very simply with a photo album and it's really powerful, right? Just turning the pages of the photo album. But Spike Lee does it very, very high-tech where Charlotte Copley has kind of created this film montage that's projected on the face of the actress playing the daughter. And then you see baby pictures that we know from the beginning, right, of, of Josh Brolin's daughter with his wife who was murdered, and then slowly see her grow up. And then, you want to take the, the big reveal? We learn that. The daughter grows up to be Elizabeth Olsen's character. Um, and then,
1: right then, you see they're naked, because they basically, Charlton Copley's character had been filming their every move, including their sex encounter.
0: Because he's also a Bond villain in the sense that he somehow has technological access to everything in the world, right? Right. And that he sits in this empty Stark apartment watching this TV on which he sort of watches them have sex or whatever he wants.
1: Yeah, and gets off on that. It's very, very kind of creepy. (laughs) And, um, and and it was interesting to see it with the audience that i did because and that we both did because it it seemed like and you said that like you saw at least a few people yeah the people next to me left yeah like i don't for american audiences if you have no idea what you're getting into or if you have no like no clue about the original old boy i think this will be maybe perhaps more disturbing for like the average american moviegoer than it was as someone who's already seen it um because a lot of people there were like audible gasps in the audience when it was revealed that she was his daughter and and a lot of like kind of like Ugh, like those kind of yeah. visceral reactions. That, and
0: it's something this movie goes for a lot. I mean, not just in that reveal, but just everything about this movie is kind of relentlessly rats, unpleasant and gross. The yeah, there's lots of like vomit <laughs> and yeah, like baby rats and just things that people don't want to look at or think about in a Hollywood movie. And again, I sort of say like hats off to Spike Lee for willing to be weird and gross and crazy. But <laughs> I think this is going to be a big disappointment for audiences who on Thanksgiving weekend say, hey, let's go see this new Spike Lee movie.
1: If they know it's a Spike Lee movie, because the person I was seeing behind once the credits rolled in, and his name came up, they're like, Spike Lee directed this. I was like, what movie do you think you're going to? You're going to be very surprised.
0: Yeah, if you don't know the original and you're not a a Spike Lee fan who sort of sees everything he does just because you're interested in his career, I don't really know what your motivation would be for going to see Old Boy.
1: And there isn't really, besides like one kind of dolly, very short dolly tracking shot, like his signature dolly tracking shot, there really isn't anything to indicate anything else to indicate that this is a Spike Lee movie? Well,
0: there's a long, this isn't necessarily a Spike Lee thing, but it's a very uh, directorly thing. There's a very long single take, right, of that one fight scene. One of the fight scenes that I find really cartoonish, but when he's going down the stairs in that With warehouse. hammer. Yeah, well, and the pa- camera kind of follows him. I mean, that's sort of one of those shots that stands out like, I am a long take. Well, I was just reading
1: somewhere that the, the studio intervenes according to, according to Spike and that was supposed to be a long take, but it isn't, which is weird because when I was watching and I was specifically looking and I thought that it was a long take, but I yeah, think... Yeah, me too, visually fooled me. I think they might have snuck in a, a, a cut, or maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but apparently he was kind of disappointed with that, and was like, that was supposed to be one long take. Well, to me, wasn't. that's
0: kind of, whether it was one long take or not, is kind of a waste of his artistry. Like, maybe he's doing clever things with the camera, but what's happening on this, actually happening on the screen, is neither dramatically compelling nor particularly good action.
1: Yeah. No, it, that scene especially felt like kind of Mortal Kombat-ish. Yeah, like, uh, just wipe out the villains the and get on too. With it. Yeah, it was very, very video game
0: Standard thriller music, definitely. Okay, so we should just spoil the very, very ending. What happens after he finds out the horrific truth that he has been sleeping with his, <clears> his own daughter?
1: Um, well, Shardog hopefully uh, shoots himself, uh, and uh, and and he threatens to, to tell his daughter, um, but he doesn't, and then he shoots himself. And then, uh, Josh Berlin's character, um, he basically writes a letter to her, a final letter to her saying, like, I can't can't be with you doesn't tell her that he's her daughter that she's his daughter and says i i just want to leave this for you gives her the die there were like 10 million diamonds that were part of the his reward his reward for
0: having figured out the truth about why right. we forgot that was a pretty big um, that was a- that we buried is <laughs> that charlotte copley essentially said you know i will give you this huge reward if you can find out why I'm, i did this to you why did i lock you away for 20 years
1: right and so he, he, he gives her—he leaves her a few of the diamonds that are worth, like, millions of dollars. Also gives his uh Chateau Copley's henchmen money so that they, like, won't go after him anymore. And, and he uh, says to her, I love
0: you, but I will never see you again, and I can't explain why. And he kind of disappears nobly. Right. And then
1: she reads the note kind of happily, and it's just like— I guess good to go for the rest of her life. <laughs> so it ends like much less ambiguously and it's kind of like, oh well, I can't be with you, but I, you know, you'll be fine. You don't need to like go back to drugs anymore. You'll <laughs> you've got Diamonds now <laughs>
0: really unsatisfying ending. I mean, just briefly, I, I have I have to do a little sidebar on the ending of the original because I just saw it last night, and then I came in here with all these questions about it. And presumably, people listening to this might know the original Old Boy and care something about it, so maybe they would be interested in this conversation. I don't understand the ending of the original Old Boy. I mean, I think it's it's a much better ending than this one, a much more powerful one. But you know, it's 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 ambiguous to the degree that I'm not even sure what the choices are that we're supposed to be choosing among. So if you have seen the original, and this will be short, that moment that they hug in the snow, right? In the original, he doesn't actually write a letter to the daughter saying, I'll never see you again. They do see each other after a bunch of stuff I won't get into. They do see each other at the very end, and they have this embrace. And there's this moment that you see his face over her shoulder, and you can't tell whether he, A, remembers the horrible truth about their father-daughter relationship because he's been hypnotized previously to try to forget it, and B, whether he's going to tell her about it. And uh, and it's a really kind of upsetting and, and powerful ending that this movie doesn't even come anywhere near touching. But what what did you come away with from the original, old boy?
1: Um, I was just as confused as you were. And after, you know, we discussed it earlier, I, 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 I do think that it's obviously deliberately ambiguous and perhaps... It could be that like he 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 knows he he doesn't remember or maybe um, as our producer Chris suggested uh, Chris Wade suggested uh, it could be that like even if he doesn't remember he went through all of his trauma like there he's changed over the course of that movie so like his life, no matter, even if he has completely blocked out the fact that it's his daughter, he still has this very kind of like heavy burden to deal with or looming in his in the back of his...
0: Right, side. it's like the, the weight of it, the moral weight of it is, is still there. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's a very powerful ending. I, I don't think I love the original movie as much as you do, but I certainly recommend it more than the Spike Lee movie. And if you're really into sort of like intense action, like extreme gross-out scenes, then uh, the, the octopus scene, I will say no more, but the <laughs> octopus scene in the original Old Boys is, is something to remember.
1: Wait, one very Very quick last question. Would you recommend, if you haven't seen either, would you prefer to have seen the first one first or is it better for people to see? No, actually,
0: yeah. It ended up, my laziness ended up being sort of justified because I didn't, it wasn't quite laziness, but I did not have time to get to the first one before seeing the new one. And I went in feeling kind of guilty, like I'm not a good film critic. I should see the original first. And then when I see how twist dependent it is, I'm kind of glad that I saw the Spike Lee first Mm -hmm. because, you know, I got to, I got to experience it the way most people audience members presumably will experience it without having seen the former. But I'm also glad that I went back and, and saw the Korean movie. And it kind of makes me want to explore more Park Chan-wook, who I've always been a little bit, I've tread lightly around him, although I think he's a, a, a talented filmmaker, because he does make really intense, visceral, violent movies. And on, on that note of, of checking out Park Chan-wook, I just got a recommendation from our producer, Chris Wade, who said that Thirst, among his movies, is one of the most, as in his words, viscerally fucked up movies that you could imagine, and that that's the one you should see. All right, Aisha, thanks very much for coming in and spoiling Old Boy with me. Thanks, Dana. Let's do it again soon. Yes. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.